right, all right, all right. Uh, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to my little live stream from uh, the ocean. And we say hi to Jamie Marie D. You are first on the Facebook. We got Vinny. What's up, Vinny? Uh, Vivek Sharma. Oh, what's up, Vivek? Wayne Franklin. You seem new. Troy Wilson. L. Richard Richardson is first on the YouTube. He's one of the good ones. So uh, welcome everybody to my little uh, my little daily live stream from the ocean. I uh, gotta love technology. Listening to the Opster while dropping one. You- <laughs> God, all right. <laughs> so uh, my brother came by yesterday. My brother Brett, who owns FH Riley's, and we had a uh, we had a wonderful day just chilling out on this lovely, lovely beach. He doesn't get out here that often because he works his ass off. He's got a new location for his restaurant in uh, East Northport, and he's doing very, very well. He says he watches these every morning uh, when he's at the restaurant, you know, prepping to, to open up and stuff. He's a savage like his older brother. He didn't think I was here because uh, there was no uh, car in the driveway. Oh, my God. My wife doesn't know this one yet. Um, <laughs> he goes, I... I really had to go to the bathroom really bad, and uh, I took a shit under your house. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I laughed myself silly. I didn't think you were here. I had to go to the bathroom, so I, I took a shit under your house. <laughs> and then he's like, do you know you got a lot of cats under there? I'm like, yeah, man. We got wild cats all over the, all over the joint out here. Um, and one of them had kittens. Oh, my God, that we've been... Maybe we shouldn't be doing this, but we've been feeding um, every every day. But um, I go, Brett, God, it's gonna it's gonna attract all the animals. I, I didn't care he did it, you know. He goes, Don't worry, I I I, uh, I I buried it really really deep. I'm like, How deep? He goes, Two feet. I'm like, Oh my God, man! It runs in the family. We can poop wherever we want. It doesn't bother us at all. Karen Goad-Williams, good morning. Today is the big move to Florida. Congratulations. Do they just hand out COVID at the airport? I don't know. I don't know what else is going on. I guess that Afghanistan thing is pretty fucked up, huh? We had it go. It's so sad. We'd spent billions upon billions of dollars on Afghanistan trying to free that country. Maybe this is where I am a lefty. I'm a lefty, I'm a righty, I'm down the middle, I'm a little of everything, and I think that's how you should be with politics, but in this day and age, it's like uh, you have to just be for everything in the right column or everything in the left column, and I think that's a major mistake that people make, but who am I? Who the f- who am I? I'm wearing a Krispy Kreme hat with long, goofy hair that looks like a costume with the ocean behind me. What do I know? It's just my dumb opinion. Just because you have one of these doesn't mean your opinion's any more important than anyone else. You just hope that you say some stuff that make people go, hmm, that's kind of what I think. Or, hmm, I'm going to start thinking about that differently. That's all you could do. But I'm no more important than anybody else out there. But we spent billions upon billions of dollars on Afghanistan and trying to make them into something that clearly they didn't want. Well, who do you blame, Hope? I blame every president since 9-11. How about that? But Biden has to get a lot of blame because uh, 
his withdrawal uh, strategy uh, fell a bit short, don't you think? Those mask mandates in New York City aren't going to work. My brother said, did you see on the black market? I, I, I don't know why he called it the black market, like we're, we're talking about heroin or something. But he's like, you know, on the black market, they're already selling um, vaccination cards. I go, yeah, of course. That's why it's not going to work. You can get a fake vaccination card and walk into any restaurant you want in New York City. We're counting on the honor system to smother the coronavirus. How stupid is that? And you know people are going to be like, I want to eat at that restaurant, but I also believe you shouldn't be vaccinated. So uh, I'm going to get this uh, this fake card so I can go in that restaurant. Of course that's going to happen. Of course it is. And of course I believe uh, I believe in the vaccination. Oh, my God. Duck. You got to duck when you say that. Oh, I love that dirty water. Oh, Boston, you're my home. I miss uh, down by the river, Charles. That's where I saw her. Um, you know what? That's a song by the Standells. And you know what I learned? And maybe you could help me because... Um, I already forgot, but uh, I just assume that the Standells, because they're talking about the Charles River, and it's such a local song, I just assumed the, the band was from Boston, and you know what? They're not from Boston. <laughs> Can someone look that up really fast for me? I forgot where they're from, but uh, it shocked the hell out of me when I, when I realized that, uh, that the Standells wasn't a Boston band. They're from L.A.? Vincent Scaramuzzo got it. How do you feel about fake IDs? I just explained that. We're counting on the honor system to, to get rid of this coronavirus. That's, that's not good. If you count on the honor system for anything, you're, you're going to be very, very disappointed. Did I get you on the big screen, Rachel? Yes. The sun is really popping here. You respect my choice to wear a mask and, and get vaccinated. I'll respect yours to not. You just have to stay home. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? And I think we all have uh, people in our families or, you know, in our circle of friends that they just simply think they know better than you. I don't know better than anybody. I've done a lot of my own research. I've talked to family doctors and my pediatrician and uh, just um, uh, scientists, people that I know in my life. I went on the CDC website and I chose uh, to be vaccinated and take this very, very seriously. And then there's other people that think I'm absolutely nuts and blah, blah, blah. And they just think they know better. And that's not okay. If you, I respect your decision 100%, but you gotta, you gotta respect mine as well. And if I'm worried about this thing and I got kids that are too young to get vaccinated, then you gotta respect that and do the right thing and maybe stay away from them so they feel a little comfortable in the situation. That's all. Don't just assume because you watch a different news program or go on different websites than me that you just simply know better. That's crazy. None of us are doctors or scientists. None of us are in the lab studying this shit day in and day out. We honestly, in the end, are just trying to get info and, and, and do what's right for ourselves and our families. But that's where I do draw the line, and I, and I like what Rachel's saying here. Respect my decision, and I'll respect yours. And also, just be fucking careful around uh, me and my family if, you, if, you, uh, if you're not vaccinated. But we can't even do that, so whatever. I saw four documentaries, 
And it started with the Val Kilmer documentary, which is on Amazon Prime. Wow, wow. The Val Kilmer documentary is amazing. It turns out that he's another one of these guys that um, had a, a video camera really early on and was just filming his entire life with his two brothers. Um, he lost a brother to epilepsy, which he says was way more talented than him. He was a natural like director slash producer and was already like creating films around the house and stuff and he and he drowned in a jacuzzi and uh this documentary is nuts and i'm not giving anything away and i got mad when someone said this on the the live stream but it turned out to be okay the documentary pretty much um starts with val kilmer talking through a trach tube and i'm like what happened to val kilmer i had no idea and he was fighting um throat cancer and now he has to talk through a, a trach tube where he has to hold it to get the air and then he talks <laughs> And you just think about uh, the Iceman. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say it. He was fucking gorgeous. And now to see him like that, you just think, God, life just fucking ends up kicking everybody in the balls in the end. And uh, what's really, really sad is Val Kilmer, the guy you know from all those movies. He was Batman. He was Iceman. He played Mark Twain um, on the stage. This guy, Val Kilmer, who's fighting throat cancer, I'm not really sure exactly where he is with that. It sounds like he's sort of past the danger zone for now, but uh, are you ever past the danger zone with the big C? I don't know. Um, what was really, really sad was the fact that uh, Val Kilmer is flying around America going to autograph signings because he needs the money. How is that possible? And then I saw like a David Geffen documentary let me tell you something about this David Geffen. I always found him incredibly creepy. I know he's had an, an amazing run and, a, and an amazing um, career, but I always found him really creepy. Like the hair on the back of my neck always went up when I would see him on, on TV and whatnot. I don't know. It's just a feeling. He's gay, but he was dating Cher and fell in love with Cher. I'm like, what, what the hell is this about? I think these documentaries, because I also saw the, the Clive uh, Davis documentary, these, these record guys that, that ran record labels, you know, they're looked at as gods and they're looked at as guys that did the right thing. And I'm like, my experience with anybody that was in music, they all talk about how much they got screwed over. So it's really hard to watch the David Geffen documentary and think he did right by all those artists as he's living in like one of those mega mansions out there in L.A., the amount of money that guy made off others' uh, creativity. Now, granted, you need a guy like David Geffen or you don't get your, your product out there. I understand that. But I think the documentary was skewed because I guarantee there's a whole list of people that really, really didn't like David Geffen and, and how he treated uh, them. And then the Clive Davis documentary was pretty good, because you know it's talking about all the all the music and the bands we know and love from our from our upbringing. But then I had a problem with the Clive Davis documentary because he famously got let go. There was like a plugola slash uh, I think they used to call it drugola. I'm not really sure. Uh, scandal a long long time ago, and he was part of a huge corporate ent entity. And even though they couldn't really connect him to what was going on, they they chopped his head off to save the the corporate umbrella my thought was this when i was coming up in radio i was at the tail end of that but there was something called plugola payola and basically uh record companies 
we're paying radio stations and influential program directors to play the music, you know, because if you get your song on some of these big rock stations, it, it made careers. And sometimes the songs weren't good enough, really. And the record companies understood that, but they understood if they could just give a little push, a little push and get that that song on the radio, you know, the rest would come. So they were they were paying out like um, uh, uh, radio executives and program directors. They were paying them with all sorts of stuff, cold, hard cash, sometimes drugs, big time trips. And when I first came up in radio, I was at the tail end of that. I, I saw a little of that here and there. Clive Davis tried to say that he did, he wasn't aware of what was going on. And I'm like, yeah, it's, that's it's hard for me to believe a guy that was such a, a detailed oriented guy didn't know that this was going on around him they never really connected him to it fair enough but he had to have known i mean it was it was uh it was all over the place it was uh an infestation at uh at radio and then the other thing about the clive davis um documentary was he swears he didn't know about millie vanilli and like I just said, he was a guy that needed his hands in everything, everything, day-to-day -day operations. And he swears in this documentary he had no idea that Millie Vanilli did not sing uh, those songs. And that uh, the record was produced in Germany and uh, they, kept it, they kept it from everybody in America and he had no idea. I'm like, that is just crazy. Of course he had to have known. Get the hell out of here. And then he also tries to say that he um, he loved like Whitney Houston like a daughter and stuff, you know. And he was trying to say that he didn't really get involved with her personal life that much and didn't really know the extent of her issues for the longest time. And I'm like, come on. But that's the thing with documentaries that you got to remember. There's a there's a angle to documentaries too. When I first started watching documentaries, I'm like, finally the truth. But you, you learn over the years, if you're watching enough of these things, that they also have a little angle, a little, a little um, uh, spin to what they're presenting to the, the people out there. And then finally, I saw a, uh, a beautiful documentary on mushrooms. It was beautifully shot. My goodness. And really, really enjoyed the, uh, the mushroom uh, uh, documentary. But a lot of the stuff they were saying, right over my fucking head. They have, I don't know, mushrooms have like these things that are important to life and it's a whole network that that stretches for miles or something. I, I don't know. But they're discovering that mushrooms are really, really fucking important. And Timothy Leary fucked the whole thing up, I think. I think that's what I learned. You know, they were studying mushrooms and, and how they could... People that have mental illness, they could they could treat them with mushrooms and whatnot, and they had a lot of research and studies. And then it became an, uh, a recreational drug in the 60s there. Because of that, the government, man, shut everything down because the, now they're seeing all these kids, like, you know, tripping. And they just thought that uh, acid especially was such an evil drug that they shut everything down and it... And it, it really wrecked the reputation of uh, what is possible with these mushrooms. And then finally, enough years have gone by where they're going back to the research and they're really discovering that when you micro uh, dose with, uh, with, uh, with, I guess, the whatever the chemical is in acid, 
I talk like that when I'm frustrated and I forget uh, words <laughs> if you need to know. <laughs> but uh, they're discovering if, you're, if you microdose, so you're not like having an all-out trip, it could help with uh, some of these mental issues that people deal with on a regular basis. Yeah, I know it's, uh, it's that silo, silo, silo sibin. I never was able to say that right. Silly, silly sibin, something like that. Right. Thanks to Husey Entertainment. He gave me five things. I think I made five things today as I try to keep my live streams and my uh, podcast free. The Patreon people have been at me for a while now. Why aren't you on Patreon? And I'm like, because I don't, I, I don't believe in the concept. If you really need to know, and I know they're a huge company, and I know a lot of comedians and people use the Patreon, but I'm like, you know, if you're into a show and also like, you know, we got a special episode on on uh, for the Patreon members. I'm like, there's nothing special about it. It's just another fucking, another show like the free shows. So why am I going to go uh, pay to, to listen to a show that's just like the shows you put out for free? So most people haven't figured out how to use their Patreon uh, properly. Guy's like, you know, you can make a lot of money on Patreon. I'm like, what am I going to do? I, so I'll, I'll put a show out there, make believe it's actually really, really more special than what I do on a regular basis. And then they're going to pay for that. I'm like, I can't do it that way. I'd rather try to keep this whole thing free. Opie, could you team up with All Things Comedy? I, I don't know. I don't know if, uh, I don't even know if uh, joining a podcast network is the way to go. I don't know. I just know everyone's doing the same thing out there now. This used to be what I did. And now everyone's doing what I used to do. So now I'm like, oh, God, now I got to try to figure out how to do this, uh, di you know, differently than everybody else. That's been my curse in life. I see one thing and I'm like, oh, now everyone's doing it. So now I got to figure out something new. <laughs> They're ripping me off, Robin. Um, I was just downstairs with my wife. She got up to do a little, uh, little meditation action. I should be joining her. I'm like, these live streams are ridiculous. I love doing them. Don't get me wrong. But I'm like, I now have to put on my costume I, have to, I put on a costume every day, if you want to know the truth, because uh, now that I'm an older gentleman, first thing in the morning, you know, I have tired, sleepy eyes, so I put on the shades, and then I have to put on a hat because the sun is so bright, uh, so I could see the screen, because uh, the sunglasses don't uh, completely do the trick, so the sunglasses, you know, cover up the tired, sleepy face, and then I'm asking her for a hairband, because my hair is so stupid at this point that uh you know i have to put my hair up and then i try to put on like a cool t-shirt today it's uh this the lizard king and then i'm all set i mean a mere 15 minutes ago i was in pajama pants a white t-shirt yes that white t-shirt that's now a pajama uh, top uh the people that know know and, uh, and my hair was wild. So there you go. Uh, the costume's on. I got my, uh, my coffee. And uh, cheers to everybody. Uh, yes, rest in peace to Charlie Watts, Stones drummer for 50 years. He died at the age of 80. Um, I was a huge uh, Rolling Stones fan. Huge. I was, a, I was a, more of a fan of the Rolling Stones than the Beatles. I'm a huge fan of uh, the Rolling Stones up until uh, Tattoo You. Love the Tattoo You. That was the last album 
that I really gave a shit about as far as the Rolling Stones go. And uh, besides all the radio hits, Tattoo You is an amazing album. There's not a bad song off that damn thing. And, of course, I love uh, Waiting for a Friend is actually one of my favorite Rolling Stones uh, songs of all time. Then after that, I mean, you squeeze in a little um, Harlem Shuffle. But then at that point, uh, the Rolling Stones lost me, to be completely honest with you. And I just go back to their their old catalog. I just absolutely love uh, the 1970s Rolling Stones. You got to think about Sympathy for the Devil. You got to think about uh, Gimme Shelter, which I think is one of the greatest rock songs ever recorded. But uh, sad news, man. Charlie Watts, 80 years old. You, you just think these guys are going to live forever. I, I mean, they were working on another tour. And I think they're obviously going to still do it. And, uh, you know, Charlie Watts uh, tapped out of the tour and uh, got sick. And uh, he's no longer with us, man. Really, really fucking sad. I, I, even though he was 80, I think it's sad. What age do you get to where it's not sad when you die? Where it's more of a celebration? Anyone over 85 that dies, it should be more of a celebration, don't you think? Were you, uh, were you uh, a Rolling Stones fan or a Beatles fan? There's always been that argument over the years, and I always went Stones over the Beatles. Always. You went Stones, uh, Joey K? Yeah, Joey K went Stones over the Beatles. You can't deny the Beatles, obviously, but I think, uh, I think the Stones were a better band. They were just down and dirty, which I loved. They had a little dirt to them, you know. The Beatles, uh, the Beatles were way more polished than than the uh, Rolling Stones, and there's nothing wrong with that. Obviously, who am I to say, Jesus? But uh, the Stones were definitely a, a more gritty band, and I think Keith Richards famously said like that they wanted to wear the black hat, that the Beatles wore the white hat, and they wanted to be like the bad boys. The Beatles tried to be the bad boys, but then. They cleaned up their act, and they looked uh, all nice and pristine, and the Stones were like, screw that. We're going to st- still be the guys that wear the black hats and be the down-and-dirty band, and I like that. Yeah, Sticky Fingers. Oh, my God, kid. God, let's put you on the big screen. Sticky Fingers is an amazing, amazing album by the Rolling Stones. So, so rest in peace to good old Charlie Watts. Surprised he made it as far as he did. He started looking like an alien. <laughs> hey, Ope, can you clarify for uh, accuracy? Do you have a beef with Rogan? People are saying this and that, and I'd rather just go to the source. Thanks. I have no problems with Joe Rogan. None whatsoever. I uh, There was a time I was very, very disappointed when I was getting my podcast together. Um, I wasn't sitting in the big seat anymore, and, I, and uh, you learn who gave a real shit about you and, and who didn't. Uh, a lot of people were kind of friendly and nice to me because I sat in the big seat. And then I finally, man, I mean, I can't even tell you, uh, and I'm not going to speak just for myself. I'll speak for the show. The Opie and Anthony show was a huge influence on so many comics. We helped so many comedians get off the ground and even established comedians uh start uh playing bigger bigger venues they made so much more money because they were associated with the opie and anthony show that is a fact jack and then you fast forward a bunch of years the kid is not in the big seat anymore and uh he's pretty much knocked down to uh a much lower level he's starting his podcast and i need a little help finally Finally, I needed help after 20 years of helping everybody else out. 
And uh, so Joe Rogan was in town. And uh, I, I, uh, I used the phone numbers that I got for him. He's trying to say that he changed his number. I know for a fact that's not true. I reached out to him. I said, hey, you're in New York. I'm starting this podcast. I would love to have you on. That would have been a huge get for me, and it would, and it would have really, really helped, help, uh, excuse me, helped me when I needed it. And uh, not only did he not do my podcast, he, he never fucking even wrote me back. And that really bummed me out. Then I made a stupid, silly video that, uh, you know, the haters have uh, grabbed onto and made fun of. And that's okay, you know. And I kind of moved on from that, I guess. I've taken a couple little jabs here and there. But it really bummed me out. I mean, we had Joe Rogan on our show. Oh, God. Sorry, Joe. But it's the truth. We had Joe Rogan on our show when not many people gave a shit about Joe Rogan at that point. He was just starting his fucking podcast. I mean, he was worth having on the show. I, I mean, it wasn't a charity case, obviously. The guy's incredibly talented, and he really, really figured out how to make stupid money doing this. So God bless him. But that's all it is. I was just really, really bummed when I finally needed a break and, and needed someone to help me out. Uh, he just simply wasn't there for me. Then he picked sides in some weird fucking battle that I'm not fighting. I, I'm, not, I'm not fighting the battles. I'm just uh, trying to move on with my life and trying to move on with my career. And I'm trying really hard to, uh, to remember the past in a good light. And that's it. And then there's other people just fighting these uh, imaginary battles. Like I said, a million years ago at this point, a couple of years, two, three years ago, it's like fighting ghosts. When you go online, you're just fighting ghosts. People that you, you don't even know. They're nameless. They're faceless. Beating the shit out of you. And it's, it's, a, it's just like if you were fighting ghosts. So there you go. Do I have a beef with Joe Rogan? No. Was I incredibly disappointed when I reached out to him and, I, and he didn't even uh, write me back or get back to me? Yes. And that's that. Okay. Speaking of radio, I, I have to mention that uh, my mentor in this business, one of the reasons why I uh, was incredibly successful, yes, I said was, was incredibly successful doing this, was because I heard Brother Weeze when I was in the fraternity house in Geneseo, New York. I heard this terrible voice coming from one of the rooms. I said, what the F? I was already doing college radio at that point. And uh, he, he changed my life because I realized you don't need a stupid good voice to do this and you need more of a personality and so I shifted at that point I was I was trying to be a traditional uh, radio guy at that point I was working on my voice so I could play the hits and I you, you would talk like from way down here and you would fuck up your voice by trying to make it scratchy and blah 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 and I simply didn't have the voice so then when uh, Weez's shitty voice came through the speakers at the fraternity house I'm like oh my god I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to just be more myself on the radio. And to this day, I, I, try to, I try to be more myself. And no one has come close to doing that um, like Brother Weeze. Brother Weeze is exactly the same guy on air and off air. I think um, this version of me doing these daily live streams, I'm getting close after all these years. And I've been at this a really long time at this point. But Brother Weeze, from day one... This guy had an amazing uh, personality. Think Carl Ruiz. Before Carl Ruiz, he, he's like an older version of uh, Carl. That's why I wanted those two guys to meet. 
Brother Weeze had this an, an amazing personality off air, an amazing street presence, and they threw him on. He had no experience, and he just put his personality on the air. And I don't know of anyone else that has come close to being the same on air and off air. And that's my new goal is to try to work towards that. And um, this version of me is way more the real version of me than how I was on the Opie and Anthony show. That, that is uh, the truth. Even Howard Stern, we knew all the same people. A lot of people say the guy is incredibly different when he's not on the air. And you can't say that about Brother Weeze. So anyway, uh, Brother Weeze was nominated for the Radio Hall of Fame. And uh, I am proud to say this morning that he got in. And they're doing the ceremony, I think, um, I think in October in Chicago. So congratulations to, to Brother Weeze. He's officially going to be in the Radio Hall of Fame. That's huge. And like I told you guys a million years ago, he's my number one. And he changed my fucking life. You can't just be influenced by somebody. The Rolling Stones. Let's Yeah, let's think Rolling Stones because of Charlie Watts. Now, I know there's a lot of people. I was talking to one of them the other day. I go, I hope you're not ripping off Opie and Anthony as you do your show. And he said, I am. I'm like, you got you to gotta have influences, whether it's in music, radio, comedy. Uh, and then you got to figure out how to make it your own. That's the key. There are a lot of bands out there that uh, were influenced by the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, but then they took that influence and made it into their own. So they're not looked at as like a cover band. I think there's a lot of guys out there that are kind of Opie and Anthony cover bands. They were influenced by what we did back in the day, and they're just kind of copying our style, and they never injected their own little uh, take in the whole thing. Uh, but Weeze, man, he influenced a lot of fucking people. A lot of people. And then he just had knee surgery. The guy's an animal. He's a savage. He's in his 70s. He's... Going under to get his knee done. He's got all sorts of issues. And every morning he's on that radio uh, just crushing it. And uh, he's a guy that never really needed show prep. But he prepares really, really hard. He works really, really hard at it uh, to this day. So congratulations to my uh, my brother, uh, my friend, my uh, mentor, my father figure. He's all those. I check all those boxes with Brother Weeze. Uh, as he goes into the Radio Hall of Fame. That's just absolutely awesome. Yeah, thank you. I, I say that all the time, but that's just lazy. We, uh, we were such an influence in, in pop culture and comedy, and uh, you know these lazy-ass writers would just uh, label me and Anthony just shock jocks. And thank you for noticing, uh, Handsome T. You guys were way more than just uh, shock jocks. My philosophy in radio was really, really simple. We would do the outrageous, crazy-ass shit. So when you went to work, you would tell somebody, oh, my God, I got to tell you what I heard on the radio today. And then they would talk about the show. And then that person hopefully would get interested and start tuning in uh, the show. And then we hit him with the comedy and all the other stuff. That was always my philosophy. So there was always, like, in the back of my head, uh, something to get everyone's attention. I was obsessed with that. I'm like, okay, what's the next thing we could do just to get uh, people talking? And then that would bring them to the fucking show. And then the day-to-day -day, uh, uh, show hopefully would uh, hold their interest. That was always, always how I uh, looked at uh, doing the radio. And that's, that's where I was very different than uh, Weez. When I first started getting influenced by Weez, I, I think I was definitely um, more copying his style. 
And then I finally found my own voice. Um, Brian Bernard, congratulations to Brother Weeze making it into the uh, Radio Hall of Fame. ONA to follow? Question mark? I, I don't know, man. We pissed off way too many people in the in the industry, and I think the industry, <laughs> I think they're the ones that vote, so uh, don't hold your breath on that. So uh, Weeze was pretty close with Sam Kinison, and Sam Kinison would roll through Rochester when he was doing all his upstate, western New York, all the way to Albany dates, and he would camp out in Rochester for the week, and then he would travel at night to all the gigs in the area, because he really liked hanging out with Brother Weeze, and I was just a kid, and I was lucky enough to hang for three or four days with Brother Weeze and Sam Kinison and the Outlaws of Comedy uh, as a group. I mean, I was on the fringe, but I was definitely learning and listening. And when I watched uh, uh, Sam Kinison work, where he, when that mic went on, he didn't give two shits. He knew where the line was, and he jumped the fuck over it, and he had no fear. Um, I learned a thing or two watching uh, Kinison as well. Lately, I forget about Kinnison when people ask me about uh, my top five comedians of all time. And sometimes I, I, I uh, leave him out by accident. But, uh, man, top five, you got to go Carlin. You got to go Sam Kinnison. You got to go Bill Hicks. Uh, I think I still put Chris Rock in my top five. And then there's that floating spot. Some would put Richard Pryor in that position. But I, I like to... I liked Carlin uh, more than uh, than Pryor, so. Imagine doing a uh, Hall of Fame acceptance speech with Ant, LOL. Yeah, I don't think we'll ever get there, unfortunately. Yeah, it'd be an amazing honor, but I don't really, I'm, I'm not losing sleep over uh, whether or not we're going to be in the Radio Hall of Fame someday. I know our material will last, uh, honestly, it'll last uh, past our lives. Um, I mean, I hear from people all the time. They're like, dude, I'm, I'm in my 20s, and I'm so mad I wasn't uh, old enough when you guys were actually doing all this stuff on the radio. And they listen to Opie and Anthony's stuff on YouTube every single day. And I, I hear a lot that uh, it absolutely holds up. So it's pretty cool. Uh, Mitch Hedberg uh, is my gateway comic. Yeah, he's amazing, Graham Crawford IV. I met him the day before he died, and I was excited because I because we finally made the connection. Um, let me put Benjamin Tucker on the big screen. How is Dangerfield not on your top five? Yeah, no kidding. Like I said, that, that fifth position is kind of a floating position, but Dangerfield is absolutely amazing too. But I wasn't a fan of um, one-liner comics. I, I, I was always a fan of um, comedians that... We're more storytellers and more long form and more uh, thought provoking. I, I I was more about those guys. That's why someone like Jim Brewer, I put way way up there to this day. Oh, Mitch Hedberg, Jesus. Um, he was at Caroline's, went to the show. He was absolutely amazing. I met him in the green room. I introduced myself. He was more than aware of me and Anthony, and we exchanged numbers and. Uh, it looked like he was going to start doing our show. I felt good about it. And then um, we hugged. I remember him crossing. We all left Caroline's together, I believe. Well, no, we definitely did. And then I remember watching him cross Broadway outside Caroline's in Times Square. And uh, I believe later that night he died or the next day. And I remember um, 
this is such a dumb random thing, but at Caroline's, they have the sign that just says Caroline's uh, behind the comic. And that night when Mitch Hedberg was doing his act, he was taking his microphone and he was banging on one of the letters and it made a little dent. And for years, this is so random and weird, but whatever. I like I I talking about these really strange, out of the way things anyway. So for years when I would see other comics at Caroline's, I used to remember the letter too, but one of the letters had a dent in it and I, my eyes would wander to that dent and I, it would bring me back to the day I watched Mitch Hedberg on that stage with the uh, microphone smashing it into the letter and it made a dent. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm not on radio anymore. I just thought that story was worth telling. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's these weird little things you remember though, right? Benjamin Tucker, you like uh, Dangerfield. We are fortunate to have uh, Dangerfield in studio at the end of his life. Uh, Stinky famously would bring him into the stairwell at WNEW. He would bring celebrities into the stairwell that liked uh, to smoke. And uh, Dangerfield got high in the stairwell with Stinky. And they used to sign. So you got the stairwell, right? And, and all these really famous people would sign the wall. God, I would love to see a picture of that. It's been many, many years, but uh, Stinky from time to time would bring these guys in there. They would smoke a little dope, and then some of them would sign the actual wall in the in the stairwell. And uh, Dangerfield was one of those guys. He was famously into his uh, marijuana. I saw him at the end of his life. I want to say in the round in uh, Westbury. I don't know what they call it now, but in the round. And this is what's so amazing about uh, Rodney Dangerfield. His wife, who was a smoke show, uh, I remember she was a blonde, big boobs, um, and she was also very nice and very intelligent. And she kept Rodney uh, Dangerfield going. So Rodney would continue performing, and he would have an earpiece because he was kind of losing it at, at this point, and he wasn't all there. But she would feed him his famous one-liners, and she would say it into his earpiece, and then he would he would repeat it to the audience, and he would kill and crush. But she was backstage, basically doing his act for him, and uh, and he would uh, and then he would do it for the crowd. All right, guys, I'm gonna go. Thanks for uh, checking this out. Blah blah blah. And uh, yeah, man, we'll do it again tomorrow. Peace. Have a great day. I don't know how to end this. I gotta work on that. Boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-